Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everyone. Just before we get this next history hack out and going... Just a quick reminder that there are lots of ways you can support the pod. Remember, just by liking, subscribing, and sharing it with your friends, that is invaluable as it gets the word out and our witterings can go far and wide. But if you're able to support us financially, that would be incredible because it helps us keep doing what we're doing. In the description to this episode, there are links to Patreon, where you can support the podcast regularly, and Ko-Fi, where you can tip us for an episode that you like. But we've also got some merch. So if you head to shop, dot historyhackpod.com you'll be able to see some incredible bits of merchandise featuring designs that steve smith does for every episode we've got some totes on there some mugs and we got more stuff coming all the time so please do check that out and if you are able to support us financially thank you so much but even if it's just liking sharing and telling everyone we're incredible that helps us too so without further ado Hello and welcome to what is usually History Hack's dedicated Second World War aviation podcast, Pedge Hopping with me, Matt Bone. But today we are going to be breaking the rules because it's my show and I can do whatever the hell I want, really. So thanks for listening. And if you don't like that, you know, like, subscribe and join us on Patreon. If you're still with us, though, we've got a fantastic guest because we have got Joe Coles with us, who many will know as the creator of Hushkit, the online aviation site, who's also got the Hushkit Book of Warplanes, Volume 1 in the works, and now Volume 2 in the planning stages. And we're going to be having a bit of fun today. So, Joe, how are you doing? Welcome to the show. I am good, thank you. I've, I've had a gin and tonic. I've had enough coffee. So, yeah, I'm exactly the right place now, I think. I'm feeling I missed out because I've made myself a cup of tea. <laughs> I'm a bit ahead of you. <laughs> I'll be good as it is still only Thursday and my local reopens tomorrow after many COVID delays. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about underrated aircraft. We both come up with a list. So top fives. We'll get some honorable mentions in as well. But I think we're going to have an interesting debate because having been a follower and a supporter of Warbirds Volume 1, I know we don't always agree on things. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. And we don't know what each other's lists are. So this could... Don't. I'm very curious. This, very... this could degenerate into something quite quite interesting. <laughs> but let's, let's, let's get going. We'll talk about the books at the end. We'll give a good plug then. But we will start with the airplanes. So 
Joe, do you want to kick us off? What is your first great underrated military aircraft? I am going to start off with the Soviet MiG-25. Ooh, okay. So this has kind of been, I would say, most the most overrated and the most underrated aircraft across its career. It's bounced around in perception and settled in a place which is quite undeserved, I would argue. So it's a very, very fast interceptor and reconnaissance aircraft. It's The project really gets going around 64. Plans for a very, very fast Mach 3 bomber, the B-70, they didn't happen. But uh, the Soviets had responded to it, built this amazing airplane, which managed to go incredibly fast. And the American intelligence analysts went crazy, sort of projecting, assuming it was incredibly agile, assuming it was very fast, assuming it was very advanced. And it was great for them because they get loads of funding for everything, but they were terrified. Then we have one defects to Japan with Viktor Belenko. And they look at it and they think, oh, it's actually it's a heap of shit. Oh, Hank, can I swear? Oh, you can do whatever you want, mate. Okay. okay. So they 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 think, oh, look, it's very, very primitive electronics in it. You know, it's it's crudely made. It's it's you know, it's a it's a terrible machine. And so it went from being seen as this super fighter that transcended everything and sort of you know, it was an, essentially started the F-15 program as response. So it went from being this super bogeyman into being largely written off as rubbish. And so there was this huge swing. But then if you look at its career, you see it really doesn't deserve to be written off. And I, I'll say a few things in this. So first of all, it gives you, if you use it for reconnaissance, it gives you a reconnaissance aircraft that's too fast for anyone to catch you but not like a Blackbird where you need a whole other infrastructure, like air of fuel is dedicated to weird fuels and astronauts flying it and all sorts of stuff. This is just a very crude aeroplane that you can stick in Egypt or stick anywhere and it can do the thing and no one can catch it. Um, you can knock them out. They're cheap, relatively cheap to build. They haven't got titanium in. It's like, like it's, you know, lots of steel in it and uh, more conventional materials. It's stainless steel, wasn't it? it was something... It's, uh, oh, God, I haven't got this to hand, but I think it's nickel steel and some stainless steel. And then you've got a, a very advanced kind of form of plexiglass for the canopy. But it's uh, titanium was considered too expensive to use. And also lots of the titanium in Russia was being siphoned off secretly by the CIA to use on the SR-71 as well. So you, 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 it gives you this cheap, invincible reconnaissance asset it's incredibly fast and go up to Mach 2.8 or 3.2 if you want to wreck the engines. It's also on the, used on the central front. It can carry tactical nukes. So it's going to be devastating there and again, unstoppable. Its combat record is surprisingly impressive. Like you look at it, the kills it scored in the Iran-Iraq war. It's got three F5s. It's got four Phantoms. It's got a C-130. In, in other wars, it's got a Syrian MiG-21. It's one of the few, uh, or perhaps the only, Soviet aircraft to kill a team fighter. It killed an FA-18. It damaged an F-15C. It pushed an EF-111 out of action. And there's a, a case where there were two MiG-25s uh, tried to engage F-15s, F-15Cs, the fighters. Uh, the F-15s managed to avoid being killed. And then another pair of F-15s joined the fight. 
four of 15s chasing two fox bats. This is in, we're in Desert Storm now. The American aircraft fire 10 missiles. The fox bats get away. So all in all, I would say MiG-25 is kind of amazing and underrated. So that's why, those, those are some of my reasons why it's, uh, well, and also, you know, it's, it's a huge part of the backbone of the Soviet air defense during the, the most important years of the Cold War and continues in service in Syria and Egypt until very recently, possibly they might even have some kicking around in Libya now, I don't know, but they, a long service and a very impressive aircraft. So yeah, what do you think? Do you think it's fair for me to include the MiG-25? It, it is, because on my honorable mention list, I've got the 21. Ah, okay. You see, again, not as fast, of course, still very fast, very simple, but incredibly robust and, and amazing longevity because it's still in service in, in places as well. And of course, we can't mention the 25 without the good old Avro Aero conspiracy theories that they lifted the designs and went off and, and did that. But we won't get into that. No, no, I think I think the 25 is a, it's a, it's a good shout because it is much maligned. But the fact that it's that it remained in it remains in service and does did as you said with did the F fifteen stories are fantastic because it's uh, there's I think there's in one of those desert storm documentaries that the BBC did back in the day, there was, you know, talk of all these prowess of American fighters just going in, shooting down everything that went before it. And then you hear these ones a little bit later. It gets a bit well, it, it even it was supposed to be very bad as a dogfighter, so limited to 2.2 G nominally. But even, even then you hear accounts of it having maneuvering warfare with F-15s for quite a long time, a matter of, you know, quite a few minutes. So yeah, no, I certainly think it's very impressive. To go back briefly to your Avro Arrow reference, I, I of course think it's cobblers that <laughs> <laughs> these Soviets nicked the Arrow design. I can't see anything of the, the Arrow in the MiG-25 personally, but it was, it's interesting to put it into that historical context where quite a few countries looked at very fast, heavy interceptors and only the Soviets got them into service. Of course, the British had, had one on the go, the French had one, you know, these projects, the Canadians, the Americans, but it was only the Soviets that got round to putting something getting up into sort of the Mach 3 range and being massive. So that's mm -hmm. kind of an interesting thing. That was a kind of late 50s fashion that was so expensive that nations tended not to pursue it. Yeah, that's, it's the, the fetishization of the technology. We have to go faster. We have to go faster. We have to go faster. You know, the, 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 Valkyrie, the Valkyrie bomber, which still is one of my favorites of B-70, you know, this, this mad idea that bigger, faster, we need to be bigger and faster to be better, which then quickly starts falling apart post-Vietnam with the redesign going back into high maneuverability aircraft and less fast, but can actually dogfight again. I think it's... I think the 25 is a good show, actually. It's a yeah. good starting point. I think you're right with the speed. I think that the kind of the everything gets progressively faster until around about, well, somewhere between 1960 and 69, things stop getting faster. Mm. Uh, you know, if the Phantom's about the same top speed as a F-22 today, despite the time difference. And you're right, that the practicality of speed comes into it. But when high speed is negated, it uh, neglected rather, it does give the aircraft that are very, very fast an unfair advantage because no one else is doing it. So mm -hmm. MiG-25 can always leg it. And also if it's firing missiles, incredibly high speed, incredibly high altitude, they're going to go a really long way as typhoons do to today, which is another, another advantage. 
very powerful radar. I can say loads more of why I think it's fabulous, but I think I'll leave it at that. So I think the MiG-25 is my first underrated aircraft. Yeah, I'm, I'm liking that. So I'm going to counter with my only jet on the list, actually. He says, quickly looking at his list. Yeah, it is my only jet on the list. Technically jet. And I'm, I'm going... I'm going home. I'm going for the CF-100, the Canuck, which I'm going to argue is possibly the epitome of the all-weather interceptor. Because every nation in the 50s had this idea of this, this sort of transonic all-weather fighter that could meet Russian bombers coming at, at all times. And, you know, the, the British had the Javelin, which I have got an honourable mention in there for. But the, the CF-100 is true all weather because it can operate in basically shitloads of snow, which very few, very few fighters still, still can today. It was designed Avro Canada coming out of the war. It's completely indigenous. The engines are Canadian. The design's Canadian. It's made in Toronto of all places. It looks a bit strange because it looks like a cigar with two half smoking cigars splanted on the side and a couple, you know, very straight wings on either side. But it's a design need that was a spec that was met very, very well. Because you've got, it's you know, subsonic, but it's still very fast. Got really decent range, which is what you need for Canada. Can operate in all weathers. And then the, especially the, the later version, the Mark IV, I think it had, had su superb, superb radars and fire control systems that allowed it to see a very long way, despite the fact that it, it never actually had any guided missiles on it, despite the, the plans for Sparrows to be on it quite, quite late on. But for what it needed to be to intercept what they were expecting to be coming at it in the in the 50s, in the late 50s, you've got 850 calibers on it. You've got a decent radar and everybody's favorite, you know, big packs of unguided rockets just to fire into bomber streams. So it's combat thinking is still very much Second World War. But what you actually have is a quite forward thinking aircraft that's going to, you know, go up against a threat that is very quickly dissipating as ballistic missiles are, are coming in and the speeds of, of, of aircraft suddenly jump um, past it. But, you know, it stayed in Canadian service for 30 years. And, you know, I remember being on a, chatting to a couple old Canadian Air Force pilots and they used to fly them out of Cold Lake and go buzzing their friends who'd be having barbecues and be blowing their mates off the roofs of their cottages and things like that with the jet wash on them and things. Because they could say you could do anything with it at any level. You know, designed to get up to get up to altitude and cruise for as long as possible, but they, they would beat stuff up down on the ground at a great rate of knots anyway. I, 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 I'm picturing that now and I, I, I'm imagining it's got a relatively low wing loading. There's a yeah. great big wing on it, isn't there? So yeah, great big wing with the big tanks on the um, on the wing tips as well for for so range sort of on the It's almost like a kind of fighter Canberra, mm. yeah. Ways, I guess so. It's it's very kind of sensible design, and like I said, it's also it's coming in at an in, an interesting time because you've got the older sort of World War II idea of the day fighter and the night fighter, and then this kind of move in the fifties. There's a kind of merging of these ideas, isn't there? And it's in that kind of period. <laughs> where it's moving towards the time where most fighters are all, all weather fighters or most fighters are what would be would would have been called a night fighter mm. yeah very, very much so and i think it's it's a uniquely canadian thing which is why i've always had a bit of a soft spot for it and you know while it's well it's in service and it's getting there it's completely overshadowed by the 
the insanity of the era, which is what everybody was expecting for you know a fifties a fifties fighter is this big, big fast bur- burly thing that was you know science fictiony, but in reality, what the RCAF needed and and had for a long time was this very sturdy, very decent. And they weren't exported, were they? I don't think were they? Yeah. And is, is presumably is that is that to do with U.S. export? limitations or just because they were kind of specialized and expensive and you could buy american stuff cheaper yeah but basically same time you've got you know north americans selling the f86 to everybody including canada and canada are making making the um their version of it as well better isn't it the canadian version is mm, yeah stuff, um, i think the ones some of the ones that are still flying are actually the the canada ones the whatever yeah, the, the british are. ones can do i remember the british ones canadian or american i know they came from america but were they Anyway, I'm not sure about it. To edit that out, I'm, I not, think, sure. I think, I'm not sure. No, digressions we like. I, th- I think the later ones were Canadian, actually. I have, we'll have to check. They were really good, the Canadian ones, weren't they? Or the Australian ones were good as well. So it was, it was just, you know, as as they got them and, and started reverse engineering them, they just were making all the changes that North America never got around because they'd moved on to the, the 100 series. I think that's totally fair. I, I can't, I, I really wanted to disagree with that one. But, uh, I can't, I think give me a bad. minute. I'll give you plenty to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> too, re- too reasonable so far. No, that's hard, hard to argue with. Now, do you want? I can go modern or old. Now, what, what would you fancy? You lead the way. I shall. I shall. I shall counter as best I can. I got a good one coming up in a minute. Okay. Well, I'm going to go with the Bolton Pool Defiant. Oh, controversial. Okay. So that's kind of got a bad reputation. It's uh, it's a fighter with its armament in a turret, a trainable turret on the top, and it has to carry around the weight of that turret around with it. So it had quite a bad reputation. It had quite high losses, and you know, generally it's considered a bit of a, a terrible aeroplane. But there's a, there's a few things I want to say in its its defence, really. And one is that it was used in a way that wasn't intended. So it was designed to operate against unescorted bombers. And if they'd all all the defiance had been based in Scotland or the north of England, they could have done that and then freed up some Spitfire and Hurricane fighters in the south, and it would have done a decent job. And there were there were sort of two units that had sort of varying tactics, like the I think, I'm trying to remember what they are. I think it's two six four squadron, and I've got notes somewhere. And one one four. Anyway, one of the, I think two six four actually had far better tactics. And tended to use more kind of shrag music, you know, the kind of a German approach of going underneath something and firing up into a vulnerable position mm-hmm. at the bottom. When you did that with the Defiant, you could get pretty decent results. So I don't think it was a terror. I'm going to keep this short, this one, but I don't think it's a terrible design. I just think it was being asked to do things it wasn't designed to do. And uh, it could have been a useful Scottish defender. And if I knew enough about football, I could name a Scottish defender, but I, I can't. <laughs> And annoy, annoyingly, I can't really argue with you there. I think, I, like, what was what was the other one? The Hotspur, the the Hawker turret fighter as well. There, there was this. It was designed for the wrong war, wasn't it? This this idea that you'd suddenly have German bombers camped on the Channel coast never crossed anyone's mind. It was this ex- expectation of um, aircraft coming a long way. Yeah. And then you having you having the time to to send things up again, and you wouldn't have to worry about fighters. Unfortunately for the Defiant, that war never really materialized, um, or it was never materialized in the south of England, as, as you say. Yeah, yeah, and I I think 
I mean, to be harsh on the defiant, you, you could say that, it, you know, in the end, it has to deal with reality and it couldn't deal with reality terribly well. But I think it's it gets a lot of shit that isn't entirely fair. And like I say, if it was if it was doing the role it was intended to do, and if it was put into places in further in the north uh, and using more appropriate ta attack tactics, I think it would be more favorably remembered. And I, I don't think anyone could be accused of it being overrated anyway. So yeah, it's it's my underdog choice, the Defiant. I think it's kind of cute looking as well. So. It is a cool looking plane. I I I did build a number of of models of them back in the back in the day when I I built models because they just are fun fun to put together. Yeah, you, you sort of, you sort of wonder maybe that you know it did get the, the the better Merlins later on and things like that, but it was stuck with Merlin one for a long time, wasn't it? So it was didn't have great power. Same as the the battle and well, and and also it, when it gets radar, it's pretty good night fighter mm. it's just the 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 Luftwaffe bombing rates kind of wrapping up then but as a night fighter pretty decent because mm. it, it's you know it's it's got that that ability as a night fighter to position the aircraft in the right place the, the pilot just has to get it into the right spot and let the, the the gunner do his thing i think that's that's okay the last book that came out about it took a took a bit of flack and there's another one coming which has, apparently takes a bit more even view so it's gonna be interesting to see how popular opinion takes the defining it's an easy raf aircraft to give a good kicking to in it when you're in a in the usual pub debates about it um, well having said it's underrated i mean if i had a choice of having that or spitfires defending me <laughs> like i'm not crazy i will i will go with the spitfires but i still think yeah i, I want to include it i want to give it a chance I think that's that's fair. You, you've you've made a, a good shout for it. Yeah, no, it's, I think that's that's. Fine. I can just see the responses to this one when people get this far into the podcast because the Defiant is a very Marmite aircraft. You either have a soft spot for it or you don't. All right. So as as we as we've delved into World War Two, just if anyone is playing um, History Hack Bingo, the Typhoon will not be making a, an entry on my list. So if you're looking forward to that, you can. You can stop listening. It won't, it won't I won't be mentioning it either. No, because no. I don't think it was underrated. See, there, there we go. Anyways, that's by the by. See the next issue of Airplane for more. I've got two Second World War ones, but as we've done sort of fighter, I'm going to go fighter, which okay. is my only Russian on the list. Okay. Because I've gone Yak-3. Okay. Interesting. Not, okay. Yeah, I, I already I, have some questions, but I let, I'll, I'll hold back. I have a lot of time for it. I, I like... I like that it's sort of being developed in that sort of wonderful Yakula style where there's just loads of them coming all at the same time, all with numbers that are just sort of picked out of a hat. The the one, the three, the five, the, yeah, they're, they're all doing in, crazy. In any, in any order, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it just seems which, whichever one reaches the front of the development queue is the one that <laughs> goes out the door. But it's it's a very tidy design. It's got decent uh, decent armament on it. Again, that wonderful Russian almost make do and mend approach of bits of it being plywood it's an aircraft that would never have been made in the west in the way that it was especially in the time period it was you're looking about 43 44 entry into service but it's very tidy decent ish engine was that come off 107 which is slightly underpowered for it. but again it's 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 a very light airframe so it can it can take it and it can do the dance with the sort of later 109s quite comparably 190s you probably don't want to get too much into a scrap with it, but 
it does stand up very well against what is being thrown at it. Granted, it's going to be in you know, fairly decent numbers by this point as well. But you sort of read the read people who've flown them, even now with the, the, the rebuild ones, they say it's a very, very tidy aircraft. You've probably got more, more smoother power and, and torque in the, the Allison ones that are up now as opposed to the, um, the old come-off ones. But I think we talk a lot on the Eastern Front. I know you, you're a big champion of two, the IL-2 being this, this incredible aircraft, but around it were a lot, a lot of these, some of the big ones as well, which I've never been too much of a fan of. But the fact that it, it got hundreds of victories for you know small for, for small losses. I've I have I've just opened up one page. Where is it? Two hundred and seventy-three air victories. The French or ninety-nine of the French victories for that weird French group that was flying with the Soviets. And, and, and am I right in thinking they there was one pilot from from that group that they spoke to and said he favoured it to the Western alternatives. Yes, the choice he would go with that over Spitfire or. Or other yeah. aircraft. He 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 was very left wing though, so it's I think it would be an on brand comment for him if I remember correctly with that guy's politics. But I, I've I've got a lot of time. For, I also think it looks really cool. I think it's just yeah. got some lovely lines on it. Even the radio version's got it looks it looks chunky. So yeah, I I think of the Russian fighters of the Second World War, the th- Yak three is probably my my favorite and the one that doesn't really get talked about. So I think that one's underrated. Does does the job mass produced typical sort of Russian Russian sensibilities about it and no I, I... well okay I can't argue with that the aircraft I think is very good in lots of ways but I am going to um, pick up one thing I think which is I'm not sure how underrated it is in Russia I wonder mm-hmm. if it's more in the in the West that's underrated and, and um, I'll speak to some Russian friends afterwards and find out but my hunch is that. It is quite widely respected in Russia. So it might be more of a kind of bias, sort of nationalist bias over here that we, we don't think about it too much. Because I think it probably is, well, I guess, like you say, there's, uh, you know, Lobotchkins and Migs and other things going on. But I would be interested in the Russian perspective. But I can't argue with you that I think it's tremendously useful, impressive, impressive little aircraft, isn't it? Yeah. I, I think this what what you're saying spot on i think this is our blind spot not looking wider and and, you know we were saying beforehand that underrated in these sort of contexts doesn't necessarily mean unknown whereas i think for for us we we tend to be a little bit maybe a little bit dismissive of of the russian kit you know i think the the il2s had some rehabilitations i think the games helped it a lot (laughs) yeah but the, the the other Russian aircraft, I don't think tend to get, especially in the in the West, when we have our Mustang and Spitfire blind spots that we we consider you know, these you know these very tidy Russian designs, which when you start pulling them apart, you think, well, hang on, here's an aircraft that's mostly plywood as well, out of out of necessity as opposed to, to anything else. I I, I would love I'd love to hear what your your Russian friends have to say about. I think it's. In the context of, of me sitting here, who spends far too much time looking at the ETO, I think that's a, those those are really good points. And and also from memory, some of the Soviet fighters are tiny as well, aren't they? Like they're, mm. they're some of them are smaller than one hundred nines and able to meet them on equal terms. So uh, yeah, no good 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 call on that. Like I say, my only challenge would be: is it underrated everywhere? Mm. 
Only no, it's just fair, fair, fair shout, fair shout. I, I've just got a picture of it up here now, and it, I'm just like, yeah, like that. <laughs> it's, it's, it's cool. It looks a little bit British in some ways, I think. Mm. It's quite super marine isn't it? Especially, especially around the engine cowling. I, yeah, I've got time for it. I've got a lot of time I, to. Yeah, I think it's a, and like you say, people who, who, who fly them say they're wonderful, don't they? Absolutely mm. responsive and wonderful. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. plywood ailerons as, as, as well. You just think, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's, that's a good name for rock band as well. Yeah. Yes. Right. What have you got for us next? I've got, uh, right. Do you want me to go World War Two or 80s? What are you feeling like now? Let's go 80s. Let's, let's okay. bounce around a bit. Let's keep people on their toes. Okay. So I'm going to go Panavia Tornado F Mark Three. Ooh. Okay. So kind of like the MiG-25, this one bounces around a bit in public perception. Britain wanted to build an interceptor version of the Tornado, but they were slightly dishonest to the other partners, Italy and Germany, about how much work that would be. Because for, for sort of funding and work share reasons, they had to fib a bit. And it was actually quite different to the, to the IDS, to the bomber version. And it came out a little bit after the bomber version. It quickly, there was a load of problems. It had the wrong engines. It had bomber engines optimized for low level flight. And so it really struggled at higher altitudes. It didn't have enough thrust. The radar didn't work. It, it wasn't anywhere near as agile as F-15s and then Su-27s were emerging. Uh, and it just seemed like a bit of a, bit of a joke but we we didn't know that at the time because the british press were generally raving about it like british books were talking about this super fighter with this amazing radar and combat performance that could out scissor a hunter and all these kind of things and we were kind of not really there was lots of propaganda and it was only later on that it came out you know how how problematic it was and also especially the radar we hadn't really done a radar since a proper fighter radar for a RAF type since the Lightning's AI-23 a long time ago. So the 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 skill set wasn't there, the technology wasn't there. You know, there was some Harrier stuff, but we'll see Harrier stuff, we'll put that, ping that aside. So the radar was too ambitious and I'm not really selling it so far, am I? But let me get to, let me get to the good stuff, which is they really polished a turd. Like by the time it got to stage three upgrades, just before it got retired, it had C5 AMRAM, so this very advanced, fire and forget, excellent, best in the world missile. For shorter range, the ASRAM, again, one of the very best infrared short range missiles, almost impossible to, to confuse with flares, you know, immensely fast, hugely powerful rocket motor. So great weapons, automatic track well scan on the Fox Hunter. JTIDS data link, secure radio, brilliant identification, friend or foe, towed radar decoy, better situational awareness than almost anything, well, probably even better than the Americans at the time. So by the time it retires, it's brilliant. And I was speaking to someone who was involved in assessing it, and he said, like, the end of its life, F-16s couldn't get anywhere near it. They'd just be zapped out of the way. They'd never get into a merge with with the F3, it was just too good at BVR, beyond visual range combat. So yeah, it's got a lot of criticism, but for that, I'm gonna put the F3 tornado in. Mm. No, I think 
You see, this 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 is where sort of my age and my upbringing sort of jaded jades me a little little bit. Is you know, I, I moved over here in early '90s from Canada, and you sort of grow up with, as you do in Canada, bombarded with American aircraft, and there's always the tornado over here, the you know, the Tonkaites, basically doing what you just did, and it's yeah, it's it's one of those things that I think is thoroughly British in that it comes good in the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, <laughs> the idea is not too bad. The initial application of it leaves a little bit to be desired, but through pluck and determination, by the time it's you know it's retired and replaced by something else <laughs> that's going to take us ten years to get right, like the the typhoon did. Yeah, it's 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 pretty damn good. I think yeah, I think that's again that's uh, annoyingly that's a good show. I can't really. Well, I, I, I realized there's there's some things I didn't mention, which is also it's got fabulous range, you know, it's mm. the, the typhoon can't compete with the typhoon, the aircraft that re- replaced it for the fighter interception role in the RAF can't compete for range. And it's also at low level. It's one of the possibly the fastest aircraft in the world. You know, there's, there's probably a flanker might be able to give it a drag race, but something crazy like 920 miles an hour at, sea level something absolutely bananas so it had a lot going for it even though it was had the wrong engines so i think it was a successfully polished turd and by the end it was very good quality sleep is essential that's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This was replacing the Phantom, wasn't it? The, the F3 was. Yeah. 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 And well, the, the, there were still Phantoms and Lightnings kicking around when it was. It was coming in. All tornadoes sound fantastic, especially at low level when you're up in the lakes or something in, in, in the good old days and they'd go blasting past. And yeah, there's some, something special. About it. Yeah, no, that's 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 good. I'll, I'll, I'll let you have that one. As- and, also, and also, look, as great as Typhoon is, it's plastic and up close, it doesn't look too good. And I was at, I was at RF Lucas, for, I think it might be in a tornado farewell. I can't remember where I was there, but there was a, we went inside a darkened hangar and there was the black tailed. F3 in there mm. and out flight line with typhoons that look really plasticky up close. But in this dark hangar was this hugely tall, beefy machine with this big black tail and look the fucking business. So yeah, that for that reason as well. Yeah. It, it's got all the toys on it. You want it. You want it as a kid as well. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a Eureka moment and epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the constant wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. 
We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Isn't it? It's got you know, yeah, very, very, variable wing. It's it's got big slabs. Things you sort of look at it today and go, well, it's not not very stealthy, but yeah, just yeah. You know, light the burners and get out of the way thank you very much yeah it's astonishingly unstealthy i think with that that tail and that boxy boxy fuselage yeah no i like that i'm gonna counter with something strange now okay and this this one of my list was my this was my mig 21 do i include that or do i include this one because i'm I'm gonna go this one because it's very well known people will probably argue this to cows go home, but I'm actually going to throw in for a great underrated aircraft, C-130 Hercules. You're a madman. I am. And I'm going to give you the reasoning <laughs> behind it. And this is not just because I'm thinking of emailing Seb Davy about something and I want to be on his good books. <laughs> it's one of these aircraft that is amazing, has done everything, but we just don't, we don't consider it in the great scheme of, the great scheme of everything. I want to, I want to give it some love because for something that's been around since well, late, you know, late fifties, early sixties, if you think of a hotspot, a humanitarian crises, a madcap special forces op, there will be a Hercules involved in it being driven by some madman at, you know, great, great rated knots at zero feet as well. And it's incredible. And the reason I'm going underrated is because of the usual standard that people don't think about logistics, you know, in, in the same way that the Dakota or, or things like that aren't really considered in the great scheme of, of things when it comes to the Second World War. I think the Herc, okay. the Herc is, is, is omnipresent. You know, it's still going now. Speak to anyone who flies the A400M and they want their Hercules back. Okay. So I hear you on... The, the pointy stuff gets, you know, they're the poster boys, they get the most press, but I cannot give you underrated on the Hercules. Absolutely. It's the most <laughs> loved, respected machine, like universally praised, universally loved. Everyone's bought them. I, I can't give you that one. I'm sorry. That's, that's <laughs> absolutely bananas to say the Hercules is underrated. I've never heard anyone say anything bad about it ever. But- Yes, and that's why I said this is the one that was probably going to cause me some troubles. But it's again, you know, we were saying underrated is probably not unknown. But when you think <coughs> of applications of it, you know, it's not the thing that's going to come come to the top of everybody's list. And I wanted to throw it in to to, to, to start an argument, really. Well, um, I, I think it's good to include. I think I've just done like, you know, fightery bombery things, and I think it's really good to include transports. But I just, I just think that's an indefensible position. I, 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 I will fight you on that. I, I, I don't think it's fair to say it's underrated. <laughs> Cannot give you that. <laughs> in fact, I might force you to say another one in place. Okay. Of well, I, I do have, I do have a fighter up my sleeve that I can replace with, okay. and not, and not that fighter. Before we get on to it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Is it gonna- I, yeah, it, it was. To be fair, I, on my list, I've got a little asterisk next next to it to just sort of think do i really want to do this and i i just have and i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna stand on this hill i may not die on it but i'll fight for a little while i was i was asking friends some aviation writers for ideas for this this show today you know of what of what i could include and someone suggested the spitfire 
Oh dear. And I said, like, what, what, what's, what's that? It was, it was, it was the writer Paul Eden, who's a very, a very good aviation writer. But his, his point was that for a lot of British people, they forget the story after the Battle of Britain, and it did so much afterwards. And he said the Spitfire story really starts after the Battle of Britain, and its work after that is overlooked. But I'm not accepting that either. <laughs> no, see, I. I have I have a theory that the greatest Spitfire is the Mark II because no Mark II you don't get it engined up to a Mark V, no Mark II you don't get it engined up again to a Mark IX. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Oh, that's good. So you know the 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 five and the nine, which are great mm -hmm. in their times, nine probably greatest of all. Yeah. But at the end of the day, they're not that much different to the original two, with just a whacking great engine on it and a slightly different different tale we won't get into the wings because the wings annoy me on spitfire interesting Are you, you you go more merlin than griffin okay i'm gonna this is gonna upset people i think for what was done within the merlin spitfires but i prefer the sound of a griffin oh my goodness yeah i know that's sacrilegious paul beaver and i've had this debate for a long time but i think <laughs> And I think he's on my side with this. I think the Griffin sounds better. There's just something, wow. something, something is it about it. To a major key, hmm. Griffin. There's yeah. That's interesting. Very okay. Hmm. I do like those brutal uh, late Griffin ones in the twenties. I love. I really like those monstrous things. Yeah, I, I think my favourite Spitfire. I don't know where we're going off. Is the is the PR nineteen? Oh yeah. yeah. Is that the one? Yeah. Yeah, the, just the lines on it. I think everything on it is just the right proportions. It, it looks great because you know the, the Griffin's got the slightly longer nose, and it, I think it just evens it all out a little bit. And you know what? Um, what is how the Spitfire could get on the underrated is Rocky Spitfires, which hmm. are amazing and are like cutting edge, incredible research and technology going in, and they don't necessarily get all the credit they should. And they were brilliant. Hmm. So maybe we could even squeeze an honourable mention of a of Spitfires in from a Rocky. A Rocky oh yeah. No, I'm, I'm I'm hoping that hoping to drag Tony Hoskins in to talk about his his uh, AA810 that he's working on at the moment because we were in, had a beer and we geeked out about PR Spitfires for far too long. So it's there's a conversation that needs to be had. Yeah, no, please do. They're, they're amazing things. I think there's a, you could you could make an argument for Spit, Spitfire being underrated. I think personally, I think it was misused in a lot of applications, especially when you think of like the the LF9 as a fighter bomber, not great range, not great bomb load, but there's lots of them. So it kind of evens out a bit. Anyways, we, we, we digress, but I think that subject, but yeah, it's uh, I think saying the Spitfire is underrated is for the most, well, it must be up there with the most deified airplanes, mustn't it? You could probably pick a specific Mark and argue that that, yeah, maybe say a 14 or something like that, but no, not having it. C-fires, maybe you could argue C-fires. Oh, they went to the crap. No, no, no. <laughs> they're sorry. They're they're good when they're flying. When they're in the air, they're great. Yeah, it's just getting them up and down. That's a yeah. bit of a bit of a problem. Okay, so there we go. That that was my contentious contentious one, which has been shot down uh, quite rightly. I'll give you that. I suppose. <laughs> sorry for being mean. About <laughs> oh no, no. I it, it it was one of those ones. I was thinking, yeah, so let's do it. Right. What have you got next for us? I've got the Messerschmitt BF one ten. Oh, okay. Yes. So that's got quite a bad reputation. It gets mauled in the Battle of Britain. 
It's a twin-engined heavy fighter, a destroyer, and it's, it's obviously it's a German thing. Comes starts it's starts in about 1936 where it flies, and it's good range, very fast, decently agile for its type. But it goes up against single-engine fighters, and no twin can even the best twins will struggle against a single and would always be at a disadvantage. And I think we, certainly from the British perspective, are very harsh on the 110 while turning a blind eye to how some of our twins did when faced with a single engine fighter opponent. So I, th I think it was kind of, it's used, again, used in a slightly unexpected way. It's having to go up, you know, go up against fierce op opposition than intended. And then when you use it, right, when you use it for interdiction or strike or as an intruder or as a night fighter, it's pretty decent. Mm. And it, you know, when you stick radars in there and I think it even pioneered an infrared sensor and had crazy armament in it going up to what, 37 mil or possibly even more. Very versatile, uh, very decent for what it was and unfairly criticized, I would say. I think that's a really good show, actually. I've got a lot of time for the 110. Um, I, I can't argue with you there, really. And sensible longevity as well, especially when it moves into the night fighter role as well. It's able to be adapted to that very quickly and very effective. And I think that's, that's quite something. The less said about its successes, the better, mm. probably. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily go so well some of the developments no but yeah i think that's exactly it. we we tend to i guess we tend to think about it in that battle of britain context don't we that yeah oh it was this this great heavy heavy fighter that then had to be escorted by by single engine 109 yeah and again, and again that's a miss a misreading of the of the sort of standard tactics with top cover and stuff isn't it so yeah. even that isn't fair so again i put that in the underrated well, you know, in, in one of the aspects of why it's under underrated. Yeah. And I think it's, it's not thinking in the direct sort of top trumpsy comparison between aircraft, what it's supposed to do versus what it was kind of used for in a lot of the time. Even, even in the top trumpsy kind of realm, you've got a pretty good speed. You have some engine issues and a re-engining in the development stage, which loses it some, the early versions, very, very fast before the, the engine change. What was it like 315 miles an hour? And then it gets very fast towards the end. So it's, it's I think it's a very decent airplane that was, and a lot was asked for it, which was, it was struggling to do, but I'd say very decent, decent design. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm mildly annoyed. I didn't think of that myself. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Again, also, I think it looks really nice. Yeah, kind of, kind of sleek, isn't it? Not mm. as good looking as a, as a whirlwind. I, I would no, say. I, I, I do, I do like a whirlwind as well. That did. I was thinking of an honourable mention for that, but I think for what it, the whirlwind that is, what it is and what it was, it kind of, kind of was really. I think if it could have had, could have been re-engineered with Merlins, I think it would have been. That story is fascinating. What if? I think it would. It, the potential was there. It was a, a prototype supercar, really, wasn't it? That was, mm. It was never refined, but the potential was there. The very, very sensible design, huge firepower, loads of speed, loads of great stuff there. Great, you know, great visibility from the canopy. But it did. It, they were busy with other things, and they were busy with the Merlin. Yeah.
Okay. I'm going to, again, I'm going Hercules adjacent for my next oh one. Oh, my God. Okay. Because right. <laughs> I felt I had to go. I've, this this is another one I, I was on the bubble a bit. But I've gone for the B-25. Okay. Because it's omnipresent everywhere. It does just about everything. But it's in, in the... In the grand story of that we tell of, of the war, it, it's it's never mentioned. It's the heavy strategic stuff, or we get straight to, you know, in, in that sort of medium bit, all the conversation, all the oxygen gets sucked up by the mosquito on the Allied side. But you've got North American, you know, cash cow, really. <laughs> this this fantastic bomber that from where it enters most people's imagination is the, you know, the the, the do little raid. And then it probably it seeps out of people's memory until they pick up catch 22. And that's probably about it. But when you start considering the, A, the numbers of them, loads of them, the tactical application of them in Italy and Europe, especially for going after transport targets and, you know, especially in the two TAF world, quite considerable quick reaction as well when you need a little bit more oomph than a, you know, a straight package of, of, of fighter bombers can do. It is an incredible aircraft that I don't think we we give enough credit to because it's it's that thing that sort of sits in the middle, doesn't it? You, you know, you get the sex the sexy fighter bombers, P 47s Typhoons do, doing their thing, getting all, all the praise, and then up above it, you've got the heavies bludgeoning their way deep into Germany and and getting getting all the movies. And then in the middle, you've got this incredibly robust. Decent bomb load of us, about three three thousand pounds. Good crew, good defensive armament. Yeah, you know, crazy, crazy sturdy. See the pictures of some of them coming back with most of them shot away. And if they get remembered, it's because you've got Yasarian trying desperately not to get in one ever again. <laughs> yeah, and that's it. Or you know, we get some terrible Pearl Harbor movie where you actually get to see a few of them taking off from Hornet. But I just, I just think it's it's underrated in that it's probably not in the right circles, but again, maybe like Mike, we just don't talk about it enough in, in relation to what it was. I was doing some research on, on the radar thing I'm, I'm working on. And when you start looking at what two TAF was doing day to day, you get you know, fighter bomber, fighter bomber, Mitchell, 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 Mitchell. <laughs> you just like, well, hang on a second, L- late 43 onwards, the amount of operations they're flying from places like Dunsfold as well, which was just packed with them. Is is remarkable. I, I I really like it. I think we should we should talk about it more. I need to do I need to do a whole show about it. Certainly, like a, a very very versatile, capable aircraft. I mean, I think I I, I maybe would say um, underexposed rather than underrated. Okay. Uh, I think, and I think that might be because it kind of looks okay, flies okay, does everything okay. It's kind of it's a, a, a quiet sibling, isn't it? That kind of gets over overlooked. Maybe that's but it's hugely important and a very, you know, yeah. Like you say, very capable. Yeah. It's not, not as sexy looking as the Marauder, but. It, I it think if it looked a bit sexier, it, it would get talked about a lot more. Yeah. And if it had some mad flaws that were later rectified. Yeah. That's, that's, that always makes a good story. It, it's, it's, it's damning feature was that it was, it was pretty good when it started. And it was pretty good when it finished. And yeah, it's a cheese sandwich of the plane. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, I thought I was going to get more flag for that one, but no, cool. Oh, okay. Right. I think that is that four each now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. I've saved I've saved my oldest one for last, but let's let's go. You. What What have you got for us? What have I got? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know what I've got. I know what I've got. I thought we uh, have neglected helicopters. Oh, yeah. Okay. Now I didn't quite narrow it down. So I've got three options and I'll let you pick, but I'll try and run through them. Okay, go for it. So first of all, uh, the mill, my four hind, it's, you know, designed as a response to the H19, but uh, and they, they use it in Korea, but the hound is considerably bigger. It can lift a lot more. It's up to 16 passengers, 16,000 kilograms of internal cargo, clamshell rear loading doors, under fuselage gondola from machine gunner, uh, 4,000 built, that's double the whirlwind and the Chickasaw combined. Kind of very important in a certain in story of Bangladesh. Uh, notably used by the Indian Army during the Bangladesh Liberation War. It, used, it moved the 57th Mountain Division across the Meghnar River after the bridges were blown up or occupied, allowing them to close in on Dhaka. And they did lifted a battalion of troops during the battle the Battle of Silhet, which was Indian Army's first heliborne operation. But as such, it played a vital part in the liberation of Bangladesh from West Pakistan. So it's it's a helicopter that's hugely important for the creation of a nation. So I think it's worth mentioning for that. Also, 4,000 built, really good, and often kind of just written off as a, as a carbon copy of a Western type, which is unfair. It's, a big, it's bigger and better. So that would be my first heli. Do you want me to go for the others first or do you want to give me your opinion on that now i'm 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 liking it i'm gonna let you go through and then we'll 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 do a roundup well then the ch37 how do you pronounce i never know how you pronounce it is it mojave mojave yeah mojave is isn't it first of all like two corsair engines brilliant piston engines <laughs> double wasps Double, double wasps. Brilliant. Just for the sort of class of having those engines. Uh, <laughs> the largest helicopter outside the Soviet Union at the time. Sikorsky's first twin. And so as it stuck the engines out on pods, which was kind of a new idea then, it freed the fuselage up. 26 troops, three lightweight Jeeps. And in Vietnam, it recovered like $8 million worth of aircrafts over a two-year period. It could collect other helicopters, space capsules, film capsules from reconnaissance satellites. So hugely historically important. Piston engine, again, brilliant, love that. And uh, it was forced into early retirement because the turbines were coming in. And it may be the only helicopter in the world that's displayed in the desert with which it shares a name. So mm. yeah, I would say that's one. And another one, which I was recently, I did an article on the Hushkit site about the top 10 Cold War aircraft. And I was trying to consider what helicopter to include and what came close to getting mentioned. It wasn't really top 10, but it was up there somewhere, was the Westland Whirlwind. Uh, this is the other Westland Whirlwind, the helicopter. Yep. So the engine's position at the front of the aircraft allowed the cockpit to be raised above the cabin, creating a large cargo area. And it avoided all the center of gravity issues that the early helicopters had. Search and rescue, anti-submarine warfare, on a good deck, carry 10 troops. But it was also, it was more how it was used that's important. It pioneered airborne assault. It's the, it's the first airborne assault by helicopter. Uh, and it carries on for ages, even gets turbines in the end, soldiers on into the early 80s, which is 
kind of terrifying. So though one of those helicopters, now I'll, I'll let you choose out of those because I couldn't, it was too painful to choose one. So that has to be your, your call on that. Okay, I do have a soft spot for the world. I, I, I love it. It's, it's the sort of helicopter you'd make out of Lego if, if you're making a helicopter. Which one, sorry? The, the whirlwind. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, or, if, or if you were to say to a kid, draw me a helicopter, that's kind of probably what would come out. But I think, I think you've probably got a good shout on the hind, uh, to the, the hound even. It's, you know, I last saw one when I was in Siberia, actually. What were you, do- what were you doing there? Have you been- I was working with UT Air. So the massive airline out there that basically whenever you see sort of Russian UN helicopters doing relief work, they tend to be from this this airline and we're putting a computer system in and there was all kinds of cool stuff out there in Schumann. Great times. Very messy though. Um, booze wise, vodka wise. Yeah. <laughs> boo, 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 booze wise. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. Everybody had their own vodka and you had to try it all. But yeah, I think you hit on the head really that 4,000 examples of it built, you know, but I think, I think it's a good shout. I think it's, I think that's probably out of the three mainly because Despite all your championing of, you know, the Sikorsky, it just looks terrible. I, I think it looks brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> just the, the engines alone, like you look at what other aircraft have had that. You, you probably, off the top of your head, the other aircraft have had those engines. And it's just a list of um, the coolest aeroplanes. And then you stick those two monstrous radials into a helicopter. Imagine what that thing sounds like. Love it. Absolutely great. Let, let's, let's, not, let's not be around the bush. The, the R2800 is one of the greatest engines ever made. Sounds incredible. Power. Yeah. Incredible, incredible things. I'm sorry, but Bolt, it looks like they forgot to add engines when they were designing it and just slapped two of these things on it, either side. No, it looks like the king of the dinosaurs. <laughs> like the highest ranking dinosaur. I, I, yeah, I think it looks cool. Really cool. Yeah. Oh, I would actually, there's a couple of honorable mentions I quickly want to squeeze in so I don't forget. And one is the, the Aerocobra, yeah. the mid-engine mounted American fighter, uh, just for how successful it was in the Great Patriotic War with the Soviet Union and how it's the, fa- you know, the favoured Western fighter and how it was really good and has kind of a bad, rep, uh, bad reputation, but it did great there. And the other would be the P-40, which again has a kind of reputation of being Mr. Mediocre, but generally historically always wins whenever it goes anywhere, even yeah. against the KA84, which should have kicked its ass. But the P40 again was like a cheese sandwich, wasn't it? Really, mm. like the Mitchell. But I think those those deserve a mention as well. No, that's 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 a strong strong shout. I I I love reading about the Derricobra. It's it's like it's a Formula One designer trying to put those those ideas into a plane isn't it it's let's put, put the engine in the middle because then that means we can have a whapping great cannon up the front yeah all the logic is there and yet for some reason it is it poorly applied you know by by the allies especially especially in the desert yeah it it's interesting because then when it's used for that specific you know the role it was intended for by by the russians it is it is very good but I, and, and i guess and you can also wonder if if the if the germans don't quite figure it out because it it's a bit different, you know, it's... I'm sure there's that. And I think there's also the, the deal of everything is low level in warfare over there as well. So I think that's got to be a meaningful 
again, it's another Alice in seventeen ten, isn't it? So it's it's great. No, I think I think that's that's good. So what's I'd, what's your what's? I'm very curious about your last one. Okay, we're going right back to the beginning for this one, and we're going Bristol Scout. Ah, okay, nice. So I, I'm fascinated by this this thing, and to make sure I got this right, I've gone to the the font of all knowledge on this, Matt Willis. <laughs> you get him started on the Bristol Scout, and he's he, he's he's away. When you start looking into the First World War, it's like the Second World War. You're dominated by the big the big types and the the story that you know there was nothing decent along until the top with pup comes along. And then that's, that saves everything. But then the Germans come back and there's the you know, bloody, whatever in the middle of it, you have Bristol basically cracking what needs to be in a scout aircraft by 1916. It's highly maneuverable. It's got ailerons on both wings. So you've got that ability to have extra, extra wall. Engine's not too bad eventually. Where it's falling down, interrupt your gear, main alloy problem for a long time. But when it's used by pilots who know what to do with it, it is formidable. And the thing that I, I checked with Matt and then he blew my mind with, it was never deployed in squadron strength. So it was always in composite units. So whereas we look at things like the pup, the camel that come later, the yeah, the the D eight nine, they're coming en masse. The scout was never deployed in the sort of numbers that that was expected. It was always part of other units, and I think that makes it makes it interestingly. But for what it was, yeah, considering it's got unsynchronized Lewis guns firing through the the prop disc, it doesn't have a wiping great Vickers on it till quite later. It leads the way, and it buys a decent amount of time for the RFC and the RNAS to bring the other types on. Then you look at it in a, in a naval context. Isn't the first first aircraft operate from a, a ship as well? It, what it ushers in as well, because it's quite small and it's quite light, it's able to do that, but with decent power. I think it's it's underrated. Maybe not for its combat record, just because it was missed. Don't want to say misdeployed, but not utilized in the way that the later fighters were. But for them, what it heralds in naval aviation, I think it's it, it's really quite something. Strong defense. <laughs> <laughs> Strong defense there. I, I was going to say for World War One, BE2C. Okay. But um, I, I, I prefer your argument on that. I, yeah. I, I was looking at the Royal Aircraft Factory ones. Oh, yeah. Jeffrey de Havilland design as well. BE2C is pretty fab as well yeah. but i think that, that i think that's a very strong defense it's very hard to hard to argue with well thank you i did try <laughs> oh I, I i you know a couple of people i spoke to i think i spoke to edward ward thomas newdick uh bing uh mm-hmm. and a few others and quite a few people said all italian aircraft from world war ii <laughs> <laughs> we did top 10 italian aircraft from world war ii on the hush kit site recently and you're like, wow, they did have loads of really great stuff that's really overlooked. I mean, do we believe Finnish claims? Let's say that we do believe them. If we do believe them, that Fiat G50 has the highest kill-loss ratio of anything in World War II, I think. It's got like 33 to 1 kill-loss ratios against the Soviets. Wow. Crazy, right? 33 to 1. Like I thought before the best was the Buffalo, was mm. the 
had the best ratio. And that again was Finnish, but I don't know how much of that is that the Finns were really brave and kick-ass and how much of that is that they were quite relaxed with their claim system. I don't know. Finnish people, Finnish historians will know the answer to that. I don't know the answer to that. They're pretty laid back, the, the Finns. Yeah, because you've got the Makitura too as well, which is gorgeous. Oh, be- beautiful. Yeah. Loads of beautiful, great planes. And, you know, what's is it the 2005 that was considered the best Axis piston engined? I'm getting, might be getting my designations wrong, but one of the long nosed Italians was considered the best mm. piston engine access aircraft by the German assessors. So that's, that's pretty good. I should talk about the Hashkipaka warplanes. I realize I keep, I've forgotten to do that. Once we finished talking about planes, I was going to ask you about oh, cool. the latest okay, cool. on, on, just, on the book. I so the, why, why don't we do that now before we go down a, an Italian aircraft rabbit hole and start talking about how if the Italians knew how to make aero engines, they would have been a real force. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole debate in itself there. Yes. But anyways, Joe, the book, volume one, how's, how's it coming? What's the latest? How can people, how can people support it? And well, the Hushkit, the Hushkit book of warplanes. So the Hushkit site is totally free online thing where I've been writing top tens with some of the best writers, interviewing pilots, the most exciting planes, looking at really weird, obscure subjects in aviation and done tons of it. And there's like over a thousand articles or something. And so we decided to put that in a beautiful coffee table book a few years back. And we're doing it with Unbound where it's crowdfunded. So that means it can be totally undiluted. And so volume one is funded and is going well, but volume two is only up to 23% funded. So I really want that to happen because, yeah, we've got some amazing stuff to go into that. So if people want to support the Hushkit Book of Warplanes Volume 2, and I think they should, then they should go <laughs> to the Unbound website, uh, Unbound Publishers, uh, and look at it there. There's loads of links from the Hushkit site as well. We'll, we'll put and the links in the description to this as well. Pledge your pre-order. You get your name printed in the book. It's a beautiful big coffee table book it's good price for what it is and uh, it's got some really fabulous rare stuff in it and uh, artworks of airplanes that some of them i'm not even sure there's ever been artworks of before and interviews with foxbat pilots blackbird pilots all sorts of things they even managed to get hold of a cold war su-15 pilot vigans so it's they're great books and they need people to pre-order volume two to make it happen so i would encourage people to do that well, I'm one of your volume one supporters, so Thank I shall have to pull, pull, pull my finger out and get volume two sorted as well. I I will do, I will, I, I'm on it. I'm on it. And th- yeah, thanks. Thanks for your support on that. That's all right. And, and also you, you did, you did, you did promise me a, a typhoon cover on volume two. If I, if I, I promised you. you your own printed slip cover <laughs> <laughs> because we, we, uh, we, I did a talk at the, the war fest, the Al Murray James Holland history festival. And I was going to put a copy of the book picture up, the a picture of the book on the big screen there, but it's got a phantom on it. So you can't do that at a World War II festival. <laughs> so we specially mocked up a one typhoon one. Oh, does that affect your bingo score? And one um, whirlwind, mm-hmm. especially for that. And I think you you quite liked the, was it the typhoon cover you liked, the whirlwind cover you liked? Yeah. I'm, I'm just trying to think, is it Des Scott leaning against the, the, the radiator on the one. So your yeah, your copy, yeah. and I can't promise this to any anyone else. So I hope no one else wants this. Is going to have a bespoke printed dust sleeve. Ugh, perfect. Of a there we go. One. 
he says typing unbound.com into his into his browser as we speak. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm a big fan of the site and oh. envious of of the output because it constantly seems to be something new on it and it's quite bananas how much time time we, we put into it it's a lot of coffee involved and lots of procrastinating on um other life things in order to do it but also just i'm just obsessed with military aircraft and air well airplanes in general and it's i find it so fun being able to have all these questions answered that i'm curious about myself and ask silly questions as well i like ask a, a pilot who's flown spitfires and eurofighter typhoons how they would, what would happen if they dogfight fought each other. So, mm. you know, going very technical and going very silly and all that stuff. It's been fun. It's been fun doing it, but it is a mad, mad load of work. We are going to put links to both the books in the description for here and when this goes out as well. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you so That's much for spending the evening with me. Thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, I will forgive you on the whole Hercules debacle. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I purposely was like, <laughs> Got to throw something in here. Gonna be and I just love that. We should, we should talk about it more, even though apparently it's like the most famous and most talked about aircraft in the world. <laughs> Definitely. So, so many, so many interesting subjects in there. So it's good stuff in there. Fantastic. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 